So, good morning. Good morning. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for coming. I have to start with that song because I think it speaks a lot about what we're trying to do this morning. And we're live on Facebook, right? Yeah, so. Hi. Hi, people in the world. We have Honorable Sarah right here with us all the way from Uganda. And um, we also do have Mr. Handro all the way from Kampala as well. So. And myself, my name is Taye Balogun. Um, I'm, I'm a Nigerian. Um, so you can tell that this is a Pan-African discussion. We're concerned. Um, um, Sarah, you've, you've been in politics for how long? Since 2011. And how's that going for you in terms of the space that is constantly um, manipulated and overwhelmed by a lot of men with strong... Um, you know, um, strong stand on you know on, on politics. How how does that work for you? How do you navigate that? I cannot say I I came into politics to to do everything, but I'm doing my part, and there will always be challenges, but also opportunities as well. There are those things we can talk about and push, and there are those we cannot handle. Sometimes we try and fail. Being being young and those people who have been there for so many years of course they are more experienced than we do sometimes they are more empowered than we do but we are not here to console ourselves but to play our part yes wow. and um andrew you are you you're a lawyer that means you understand the civic rule um, and law and also um, some, you know, political, constitutional, um, 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 what would I say, um, and policies and things like that. How would you differentiate between um, what is on paper and what is happening um, in, in terms of the political um, scenario? Well, I think that um, what is on paper is a reflection of the fact that there is agreement about the need to do things better. It, it, the policy leads to the law. And then we hope that law, which has been enacted, will be translated into the daily life of citizens and how they relate to the state and how the state relates to citizens. I guess the challenge always is, almost always, is the translation of what we have on paper into actual practice. So, yes, there's, there's realisation about things like inequality, there's realisation about the fact that resources are not being distributed enough in a more enlightened fashion than they should be. There's a realisation that um, certain sections of society are structurally marginalised and pushed out of, of access to opportunities. So even with interventions like equal opportunities commissions or laws that create that that's, that that categorize citizens as equal regardless of sex gender race history you know we still have a lot to do in translating that into real day real life and so people can feel these things not just on paper but in their daily lives in their pockets at work at home in society and for mainstream actors like her in the politics for her not to feel that this is a, a battle, but it's something that she 
should she has legitimate uh, a legitimate right to participate in without any labels as to her gender or things like that. Wow. Um, there is there is a constant um, struggle. I mean, inequality can be depending on the space you are. If you're in politics, if you are, you know, in the you know trade union sector or whatever sector you are, there is a, a, a paradigm shift. Um, but there is also um, one thing that you know, and because we're talking about governments, I think there is a need for there is a huge campaign about women getting into political spaces and um, uh, because it's not been mainstreamed in that sense uh, women are meant to be sidelined in a way that because men are social animal you know we want to you know we have our conversation in a very informal way therefore it allows us to catch up on things but women cannot do all those things mm-hmm. sarah um, this question goes to you you are you know, you go into every day. You go into the parliament. You have discussions about certain things, um, but at some point, you because you're married, you have to go back home. Um, some some politician men will still hang out in bars, in restaurants, where they would have to catch up on some of the things that they've talked about. Um, do you feel left out no. in that sense? Um, yeah. Thank you so for that question. First of all, we are created differently. That means we have different roles to play at different levels. I would not feel left out because I did not go to, to the bar when I'm home attending to my children. Nobody stops me to go to the bar anyway. If I want to, I have the money to buy the beer. I can afford, I, I mean, but to me, sitting home with my children, trying to teach them how to brush their teeth, how to pray before they go to bed, how to, to, to relate to, to people, to answer all their questions of the day. To me as a mother and a leader, I feel that is the most important thing to me. So I, first of all, would like to, to, to say something about the, this issue of the inequality before I even go into that. I think there is inequality, yes, in every aspect of life. Even as children, sometimes they feel there is nothing that is not going right at home. Sometimes they are not given everything. But as African leaders, we must admit that there was maybe the worst situation before today. Before I joined politics, those days when I was young in school, I remember girls were very few in our classes. We were very few girls. And sometimes the number would drop. As you are growing up, the number goes down. When girls now go into periods, it is time for, for adolescence and they're in periods, almost you find yourself alone in class because their parents feel like now their girls are big enough, they cannot socialize with boys, they will impregnate them, they will spoil them. Sometimes these girls, when they're in periods, they do not have parts, they cannot afford, they, they choose to stay home the days they've been periods, which is not like case today. When you look at Ugandan politics, I'll talk about Uganda mostly because I'm well versed with it. Our affirmative action is very firm and strong. There is no local government or local council or any, any committee that will be valid. He's a lawyer who will tell you without a lady. But the challenge is sometimes when we put, this is where I have issues, when we put such beautiful policies, 
we abuse them. For how long must a lady be affirmed? That's the question we need also to address. Other than keep on saying, we need affirmative, we need affirmative for ladies, we need affirmative, yes, we need it, and here it is. But for how long must you be affirmed? If you were appointed or elected a woman member of parliament representing women in a particular district, in a particular region, for how long must you keep in that seat? Me, I would think, if you come as a woman member of parliament, you're representing women on affirmative action. After five years, I expect you to be mentored enough. I expect you to be mentored enough. You leave that seat for a newcomer, for another lady to be mentored. But in a situation whereby you are on affirmative action for 30 years, it loses meaning. That's what I think. Yeah. So, I, to me, I, I appreciate uh, the, the, all the, the, um, the efforts played by different leaders from different levels. Because today I'm a youth representative, mm. but I'm not on a female seat. I contested with male. Mm. Because I, I, was, I felt after being a female youth counselor, I could not again come to stand and compete with other females who were newcomers. Mm. I was affirmed enough to go for male and compete with male. So I think that's how it should be. Yeah. But if you, are, if you want to be affirmed for, there are so many people, so many women we know in Africa, they came as a, uh, they came as a, result, uh, as a result of affirmative action and they have been in that seat forever. And they do not even want to see any newcomer trying to take up that seat. So that, those are some of the, the, the inequalities again that we, no, we need to address. Because there was an inequality, because they continuously be there. Mm -hmm. There was a need for ladies to come into politics. Mm -hmm. Here are ladies who have been in politics since 1986. Someone is seated in one seat. She doesn't want to leave. She's on affirmative action. To me, it loses Yeah. Thank you so much, um, Sarah. I, I think that takes us into to the law. I think law, without law, we cannot all exist. Everybody will just be doing whatever they want. Do you think there is enough, the same way it's, you know, young boys would, you know, get towards joining into politics. What do you think is the problem for young ladies? Um, is there no policy? Is there no law that guides young girls or to affirm young girls to say, get into political spaces, go and represent your county or your you know, community in that sense. The place of law, I hate to bust your bubble, is, and this might be surprising coming from a lawyer, is limited. The place of law in political or social change is fairly limited because a law, you cannot legislate societal questions and think that by that legislation you have thereby resolved with totality whatever is before you. Let's appreciate that these inequalities are first perpetrated at the smallest units of society and then grow and become a societal thing, a community thing. Mm -hmm. There's inequality at the level of education, the level of access to healthcare. She was talking about sanitary towels and other provisions for young girls. There is inequality at the level of nutrition, the mental development, child upbringing, and so on. Access to energy, um, 
information opportunities for study and career growth so if we resolve those laws will only be the icing on the cake but law in itself by itself may not be able to correct if if you think of this as a ship sailing in in, in the sea we may not be able to turn this ship around and get us to new bearings where we have equal opportunity for everybody so while in fact i would agree more with things like encouraging young people uh, training leadership at the young level primary school secondary school so that people have all these young skills. people regardless of, of of gender have skills have exposure to contest for elections for head prefect for timekeeper for you know all these things so that they grow up knowing that this is something that is a legitimate uh, pursuit for anybody as long as you have an idea you have some vision and things that you want to do for for the constituency that you're representing or leading so law in my view would merely be a, an affirmation or a safeguard to ensure that these interventions in society to stop this these inequalities are protected and kept you know um, and kept kept there as a matter of law not so much as a matter of trying to enforce social change you can pass hundreds of laws a year if you do not intervene at the micro societal level you may not get very far in terms of traction can mm. i can i add something yes please yeah thank you i think we also need to do something just to, to add on what he said we need to change the image of leadership in africa today when you go in a nursery school where children are five years and and maybe below or seven years and below and you ask them who is a politician the answer will be is a thief hmm. because this is what we tell them this is what our societies tell the children hmm. this ch- these children will grow hating politics or and whoever will choose to join politics will be ready to be part of this you get my point yeah when you look at the asian cultures they treasure politicians they treasure leaders they groom them and in fact to them for you to be a leader you must be a clean person and very decent which is not the case in africa in africa we train our children that if you want to get rich fast if you want to steal and embezzle and you acquire lots join politics sometimes when i'm i'm in parliament and i hear what has been embezzled and what we are investigating sometimes i'm like and i remember what i've i've been hearing people say sometimes i'm like am i in a wrong place is it true that this job is for thieves and thugs so unless we change that image we may not go far because it is first of all it is not true that all leaders are thieves right and it is not it is not true that people have lost the interest of serving their countries but they are frustrated mm. when you're trying to do something right and the public out there is accusing you of being a thief and you're fighting with thieves sometimes you're like am i lost who is appreciating me anyway So you lose that guts. I think we need it is a collective responsibility as Africans to change the image mm. such that we also put measures 
we are like for someone to join politics one you must be having a clean record but do we have those measures anyway you'll find someone has been in prison for some time after a few years because he's popular maybe whatever he embezzled shared it with the communities the communities will bring him to to such a, a bigger institution and we have seen them we have had them around i may not mention names people who travel abroad and they are they are accused of being fraud stars and when they come back in our countries we we glorify we, them. We glorify them and vote them into bigger leadership responsibilities. Mm. I mean, we also need to do a lot as communities, African mm. communities, yeah. if we are to change the the, the situation. Right. And discouraging practices and, like children who are contesting to be head prefect or and uh, they are given giving they are given bribes. Mm. Sweet at that level of children, of course, the sweet is the you know. It's a, it's a, and that's bribe. It's a big thing. Right. But this then translates into. People raiding the bigger picture. The bigger, yeah. In terms of you know what exactly. was in for me. So if that kid wins that election, wins another election in secondary school, by doing that, there's no way they will behave differently as a member of parliament or presidential candidate hmm. for our country. So yeah. now for for the issue of the lawyers, my humble appeal: we are pushing this as youth members of parliament from Uganda. Hmm. It's something we are pushing in the electoral reforms we are trying to have. We are pushing for, for, for how should I say it, equity mm-hmm. or, or, or something. We feel like the government should be genuine. If you are a youth representative, yeah. if you are coming in as a representative of the people with a disability, if you are on this unique affirmative action, mm-hmm. they should be treated in a special way. For instance, if you tell me, you, you, first of all you say, you want a youth representative with 30 years, and below. Meaning, this person is either out of the university or is still in the university. He or she has not worked anywhere. Yeah. They have not accumulated and acquired a lot of money. Right. They are representing 25 districts or more. You want them to have money to travel to, through all those districts looking for votes. Mm-hmm. And you want them to pay 3 million for nomination. Party politics, 3 million. General elections, 3 million. Those are mm-hmm. 6 million. Where do you expect this young person? $2,000 for our audience. You get it? Wow. Yeah. Mm. Where do you expect a young person who is just in school or out of school mm. to get the $2,000 US dollars for just nomination? Minus posters, without t-shirts, without transport and fuel and everything. If the ministers can afford. It is not fair to make Sarah, who is just a university student, to pay $2,000 US dollars for nomination. And this two thousand US dollars is the money that the Minister of Justice, who have been in power since 1986, is paying the same money. You're getting my yeah, point? Yeah, yeah, yeah. To me, I think it doesn't make sense. Then I'm not on affirmative action in any way. Yeah. But I'm just contributing a lot of money to, I'm giving, you're just trying to collect money from me. Absolutely. Whether you don't care whether I can afford or not. So, sometimes these leaders put such measures to push out the poor, mm. to push out those who cannot afford, such that these same seats will be taken by their own children. Because for them, they can pay for them. Mm. The minister will be able to fund the child even if you tell him to bring, uh, let's say, a million dollars. They mm. can afford. 
But these vulnerable Sarahs who cannot afford, maybe who could even be coming from the humble backgrounds, they may they be kicked out of the game. So that takes me into, um, I mean, I've heard two things. Um, the culture of, um, there's, there's a culture that we as Africans have um, um, embraced in terms of, you, I, I need your votes and I, I need to, you know, give an incentive for it. Transactional. Transactional. Um, and that simply, you know, it's, it's by default. Um, you're coming to me for something, you know, you want, you're seeking a seat then invariably you have to also provide something for me. Yeah. How, do we, how do we navigate that? I think it's, I mean, like um, both of you have said, I think it's something that trickles um, down. Um, young people now also want you to, um, I was hearing during the other day, um, we had this facilitate conversation about inequality and there's this guy who said, um, MPs now when they come to the community, they have, they have amounts. So if you are an MP, we, we charge you 200. You have to give everybody to 200 Kenyan shilling. This is a Kenyan um, um, narrative. Um, if you are um, governor, it's 500 that you have to give to them. Um, and, you know, uh, it takes two to be corrupt, you know, regardless. Um, whether or not we are appointing our, uh, our leaders, uh, the receivers as well, uh, they are also corrupt. And that's a corrupt society that we're going in, but we're not talking about corruption. But that would get me into the inequality in terms of numbers. Inequality in terms of numbers, you know, in terms of um, resources, our resources, our national resources, um, where, you know, a very little percent are controlling a huge economy. Um, how, how do we take measures? Um, there are a lot of people, like um, Sarah said, um, they have this money. I mean, they can, and that's why you find politicians uh, always ally with rich people because they need them during elections so they can fund their elections. And someone who is coming from a very humble background who have, you know, this aspiration and passion to, you know, to serve, to serve the, the community, don't have this money. And some these people have the money to do a lot. How do we, how is the law looking into such uh, measures to allow influx of people who are fresh graduates who feel obliged to serve their community would come into those type of spaces regardless of what it is if we have to do a checklist that allows us to say okay sarah we have a checklist we don't even care about your money we just want to get your integrity have you been have you um, slapped someone before have you harassed someone before do you use just a checklist. Is there anything like that in, 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 in the rule of law? There's, yes, there's proposals and in some countries where enactments have been made to cap uh, electoral financing or campaign financing to say that um, an election cannot become a commodity that is, yeah, that is traded. You know, people's votes become chattel that is traded yeah. to the highest bidder. And secondly, Penalties that are, that should be deterrent enough to restrain or uh, contain people's appetite to misbehave during electoral processes, uh, ballot stuffing, buying off of voters, and so on, and other things that would corrupt the electoral process. So those interventions can be made at the legal level, caps on financing. Um, penalties that are deterrent 
But I'd also like us to and invite the audience to to spare a thought for things like at the at, at within society, Africa is one of the youngest continents, if not the youngest. It could be actually is the youngest the continent. Youngest, yeah. Average age nineteen. Wow. Out of the fifty four countries, nineteen average age. We cannot continue being. Young people, we young people, cannot continue being a majority that has a minority mindset. Mm. There has to be value for our numbers. Mm. We, the power in us is greater than the people in power. What it takes is to mobilize and organize ourselves into such form as shall be able to influence what we actually want to see, the Africa we want. Hmm. It really rests with us. Uh, laws can be passed, but that how they are translated, how the, how the rubber meets the tarmac is for us to actually, you know, determine. show up and, right. and, and determine the outcome hmm. as opposed to... We, we, we should, and this is not a, in any way to discourage our love for arts and music football and all these other things that we we love and take time in but there is certainly a a case to be made for africa's young people to be more present constructively engaged and participate in these processes if we want to have um, what is due to us the the very people we are complaining about now Mm. the the so-called elders showed up in their time Mm. and did what had to be done Mm. we ought to do as much just to add a little yes um just like i told you that i'm well i'm well versed with um ugandan parliament when you look at our parliament today almost 68 percent they are young people of uh, parliamentarians in uganda they are below 35 years wow meaning and these are the people that do not have a lot of money. Meaning that the young generation is now learning how to handle the seniors with bags and sacks of money. For instance, if I'm competing with you, Tai, and you have a lot of money, I have less money, I'll just go to the communities, tell them, people will come here, give you 10,000 each. It may not do much. It may not even help you throughout the day. But here I am. I want to work on this bridge. And I need you to join me. We fix it. Hmm. All I'll give you will be my time. Yeah. And my, my, you know, my, my words to encourage them. Then I'll mobilize young people. We shall work on this bridge, fix it and everything. So whoever will be passing on that bridge will be like, I think this woman did a great work here. Yeah. I can't believe we've been here and we didn't know what to do. So somehow, in some communities, people are trying to understand that because they have had that kind of politics. And again, our laws and our the judicial, uh, the, the, that sector have helped us a lot and us appreciate them because there are those members who have lost their seats as a result of bribery during elections. Mm. When, when, you, when there is proof that you give out money or you give out something with the intentions of bribing voters and it is proven in court, yes, you lose your seat. 
and now with these smartphones you'll be there giving money someone will take a photo and you can't deny it there's mm. evidence so i think just to add on his voice as mm. the young generation as being the majority we just need to be strategic and use our numbers to just create and to put up a good case as far as good leadership is concerned to hold the leaders we have accountable to always vote for the best leaders mm. to always demand for services and i mean to make sure that we live in the best environment mm. but sometimes these young people they use numbers to to demand for bribes mm. other than putting i mean leaders or holding them accountable, accountable. Mm. because as a leader there is a time i was talking to my fellow members of parliament i told them if you we, we push for something here and it does not work let's go out there and mobilize this youth if you mobilize 10000 or 30000 young people and you put them in a stadium even the president will call you within few minutes the moment you assemble them all people will call you and they will be begging hmm. because nobody no leader can can want to f- put a fight or be at war with 30000 young people hmm. they will all come and be like Oh sweetheart what are you doing here why are you here how can we help mm-hmm. how can we join you how how do we be part of this mm-hmm. because that is the language they understand exactly but sometimes the way we do it we do it in a wrong way when we come we start throwing stones now they have reasons to fight back can we gather and sit together in a peaceful manner and mm-hmm. we start discussing these issues one by one all of them will come and they will want tangible and therefore you know sara can have 1 million followers on facebook and twitter um but might not have physical people uh who can lobby around her in, when she needs that you know that support um and that translates into the um invisible followers that we we do have and you know in terms of when there is a political um Um, rally and you have you you usually don't have the educated ones around you mm-hmm. because the educated ones are so um prim and proper that they would don't want to get on the streets with you mm-hmm. on a rally mm-hmm. so you have the ones who are not educated at the ones who so middle class actually do us more bad than That's good right, yeah. um the right policies they talk about issues and trend online mm-hmm. but they never get on the ground to support you mm-hmm. um but the ones who are supporting you don't have work don't have food don't have um house to live so and these are the guys who go out every day to seek for something to feed their stomach they don't even need no car no phone they just want to go out every day and survive mm-hmm. and there you are mr politician you are giving you need my votes mm-hmm. i need something from you is a trait mm-hmm. um 
So they have a power. So I really do not believe that they don't have a power. They do. I do uh, believe that the way they've used their power, like what you said, mm-hmm. is now transactional. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to give my vote to anybody who doesn't compensate me. Mm-hmm. How do we get our government to see this position? Um, how do we see our politicians to see this tangible thing to reorientate our young people? Even because I think leaders have a power. You go there, instead of giving them something, you tell them, I'm not going to give you money, but I'm going to give you a, uh, a skills. Mm-hmm. And that skill can actually take you for another two terms. You will be able to do something for yourself. I want to open a, you know, fashion house and b- bring tailors and you guys will learn how to I'm not going to give you money. Mm-hmm. But the best amongst you I'll sponsor that person and open, you know, like something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's how we need to go because a, a lot of us are now worried that politics is now a, a trade and we don't know how to navigate in the future. So, Sarah, this question goes to you. What shall we do? I I must I may disappoint you about what I'm about to tell you. Before I joined leadership, I used to think like the way you do. I had the passion to help. I was from a very poor background. I had gone through hell. I I needed a few things to to stand on my own. I thought so many other young people were like me. When I joined councillor, councillorship at Mukono District Local Government, I looked for my friends in the country and outside the country. We bought the first tractor because we had land, we had siblings, we had everything. I went in the council and told the council, my colleagues who are councillors, first of all, I lobbied and I was the chairperson for production and natural resources and agriculture, fisheries and all that, they are part of that. So I was the chairperson of the committee. I would determine what is given where. I was at the center of allocation of resources in that particular center. So I got some money from friends and donors, and then I made the government give us seedlings and land. And I thought, I sat with the leaders, the youth leaders, and we agreed we could go agriculture because we had a lot of market. We had the Uganda Christian University Mukono within the that's in the town center. We had the loads, I mean, where we could even sell our foods. Mukuno being a big town, people don't have farms. They, they buy everything in the market. So mm-hmm. we, we, had, we, had, we had all the, the chances to make money and change the livelihood of the young people. But when I got the tractor, I got the land, I got the seedlings, I called these young people to come and we start. The first day, they were over 200. The second day, they were over 100. The third day, they were only 20. The number kept on reducing. Almost at the time of putting seedlings in the soil, I was alone. I had to go and look for prisoners. <laughs> to look for who? Prisoners. Oh. I had to, to, to hire prisoners to do this to work. Do, wow. We had almost 50 acres. I got prisoners. I put in money. We planted. We plowed. We, the second time, at the time of harvest. They were over 1,000 young people. 
So the young people. Don't you think maybe they were sick or some they of them? <laughs> At least some were working <laughs> within the local government. I was seeing them every day. I would even mobilize them. I would tell them, let's go, guys. We are going today. Tomorrow we are going. You did not come today. What happened? Please show up tomorrow. They did not come. At the time of the harvest? Over 1,000. Over 1,000 showed up. I mean, it is so painful. And even when I went to parliament, later on, I mobilized more tractors. I got almost 25. I gave one tractor per district. We've done all this. But sometimes... With one district in particular, Mubende, when I gave them a tractor, they sold it at the spot to one business tycoon in Mubende district. The tractor that was almost worth 60 million, they sold it 20 million because they wanted quick money. So sometimes it is hard to deal with human beings. The way you feel for them, sometimes they're... So when I went home, I sat with my mother. I was... Depressed. I even got sick, by the way. After selling that tractor, I was so hot. I was like, how I wish they had given it back to me. But I had no option because they had sold it. Mm. So I went to the guy. It was a long process. I went to the Prime Minister. I begged him to talk to the guy. He talked to him. We found a way of refunding his money. We brought back the tractor. But for them, they sold it. Now, when in that kind of stress and trying to see how to to figure it out my mother realized i was down and depressed she asked me what is the problem i did not want to tell her because she would discourage me and i was interested in what i was doing but after like three days i told her she told me something that sounded selfish but when i internalized it and thought about it she had a big point my mother told me sarah not everyone that is supposed to be rich. Getting rich, changing your livelihood, changing your status is by choice. Mm. She read for me a verse in the Bible of Jacob and Esau. He told me Esau and Jacob were twins. She told me they were twins. Yeah. And Esau was the elder brother who had the, the higher chances of being the heir and everything. But out of choice, he sold his blessings to his young brother who gave uh, him the, the millet flour just to eat there, there and then. So she told me, well, wealth, like good livelihood, lack opportunities. I mean, grabbing opportunities and changing your livelihood is by choice. Mm. You cannot force people to do so, what you think they should do. Absolutely. So if you don't think all people, you'll change them. You do your work. Whoever feels or grabs the opportunity and is seeing an opportunity, in what you, they'll follow you. Those who don't... He also gave me so many examples of Jesus, of how, how uh, Christianity is free, but some people choose not to be. Salvation is for free, but some people choose not to. And they are comfortable that way. So she told me, my daughter, don't stress yourself. This is what is happening in African communities. In Uganda, we have youth livelihood. Mm -hmm. We have NADS programs. We have so many programs. I've myself taken seedlings up to the gardens of some young people. When you go back after a week to monitor, to see if they have planted them, they, are, they, they leave them there and they dry up there. 
when you've put in transport and fuel, you transport them from Kampa, where the Minister of Agriculture is, to the villages, as far as Masaka. You give, you distribute them in the villages. You go back the following day, they tell, or after a week, they tell, oh, what are you going to say? We are sorry. We did not find to plant, you know. I, I had someone called me for a job. I went there. I got issues. You know, honorable planting these things, also, those are now other people. It requires some small money. I need to get someone to dig holes and then I fix these things. I mean, you're, you're shocked. You're like, oh, sorry. So you didn't have money to do that. Sorry, dear. Okay, maybe we wait for next season. You can't do much because they are your bosses, they are your voters. You cannot abuse them. You can't beat them up. You can't do much. You're just in shock and you walk with your misery. Yeah. Uh, sir, that's very enlightening. And maybe before you go, you give me your mom's number. I need to talk to her. I need some, <laughs> I need some, some you know, wisdom. Um, Andrew, there's a guy that kidnaps people in Nigeria. And this guy was, I mean, you can check out YouTube. It's, you know, big time. He may... You know, look for rich people, politicians, kidnap them, and he asks for like, you know, 20 billion, you know, no, I think I'm exaggerating, like 20 million dollars, yeah, 20 million dollars, 50 million, like dollars. He works in dollars. He has ignored Naira. Um, and he's been doing it for a, a, a long time. So finally, he was caught. Yeah, he was caught last year. And um, you know, they put him to, you know, we did so much beating, they went to his house, you know, he stays where the rich people are staying in Lagos. They showed, you know, everything that he was doing. I was asking him, so how 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 many people have you killed? Kid, you know, kidnapped. He said he doesn't kill them, like he just you know takes money from them. He told he showed them how he transacts, he has so many phones, he doesn't use one same kind same day. Just you know, like very horrifying story, but you can also celebrate his bravery um, in a very, you know, um, very sensitive way. Anyways, and there was a conversation. So it said, "Which who have you, um, which which who have you made money from in one of your kidnaps? Who do you you know demand so much money from?" And said two hundred two hundred million dollars. Said and. The, um, the presenter said, "Who is this person?" Said, "I can I cannot mention name, um, you know, because they might be looking for him." So, okay, that's fine. Um, so two me two on two hundred million dollars. Said yes, and they paid it. Said yes. How 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 quick did this pay this money? Said uh, it took them a week or two weeks, and they they paid it. And and how do you return this person back? How do do you feed this person? Yeah, we feed them. We put them in a place. So he was telling them the same. I'll share the YouTube link for you guys. So my question goes to, so after this conversation, Nigerians got really upset that this guy must not, so they, they were going to put this guy in jail. So you must not put this guy in jail. And the, the narrative was, why should you put him in jail? Whoever has that 200 million in his account in a country like this, that means, exactly. No, it's not even that. It's the family that was able to pay two hundred million dollars to take their 
a family member out of this kidnap of this kidnapper that means they are doing something you know corrupt in, in terms of corruption as well because that's a huge amount of money in a country like this and these are you know politicians who are supposed to serve the country so this narrative is becoming you know and they, a lot of people were like you know they need to question the guy as well where did they get the money from and even the bankers who are banking who are helping this guy bank his money where did, you know like all this is the, the, there's a chain of corruption before it gets to him so my question to you um Andrew, is how do we even measure um you know our our political ambition versus um our you know the ambition of just embezzling money why don't we have such you know such passion for hu humankind in our political system in in africa at the moment and is it a problem of the past is it something that we are um you know and i think you know they say you know the 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 the, the lawyers have have a way of you know understanding human behavior in a sense that you know predicts what the future would be what would you think the legislator here hinted on the answer earlier the state or politics for that matter cannot be the most attractive source of livelihood in a society the failure of the private sector or entrepreneurship private investment, job creation, things like that. When those things fail, and the most attractive thing that anyone can engage themselves in is mainstream politics, and not politics for purposes of transformation, like she's been saying, but for purposes of transactions, you will have offshoots like those. For me, that's an offshoot of a failed political system where someone all of a sudden realizes and says, there's actually a lot of money and I can't make it if I trade honestly, mm -hmm. open up a business and do honest work. Mm -hmm. But if I invest in kidnapping, facilities to keep these people, financial institutions to fund, to, to do the wiring of money and so on, mm -hmm. I'll actually make more money uh, than I would ever have made if I you know, had engaged in legitimate business. So I think it's about what we do in terms of ordering priorities on which sector or which area of life we want to be, we want, we want citizens to be engaged in the most. Uh, in terms of prediction of what happens is that it goes down from, from there. It's, it's, it's a race to the bottom. If people have now taken to kidnapping and demanding such ransoms, you're, you're only sliding closer to anarchy, uh, where the means of violence are not restricted or contained by the state, but everybody has somehow has access to the means or methods of violence and coercion. So you no longer have, and since this is Nigeria we're talking about, Nigeria as we know it is contested and could 
be you know destroyed for all we we know yeah so for me it's ensuring that people you do not close avenues avenues for legitimate pursuit of happiness of life of liberty let private sector businesses entrepreneurship social organizing and all that go on unimpeded when you close off those avenues humans will naturally recourse to crime and deviance in in a country like um, um this question goes to back to you um in a country like denmark um where you have um regardless of what you do you can be a gardener um or a taxi driver and you're staying next to a senator in the same neighborhood mm. and in as much as they are you know because the more money you make the more tax you you pay uh, therefore a lot of people are cutting down their even though they're making more money they're cutting down their lifestyle so that it enables them to also do so it's been I mean, I'm, I'm sure there are a lot of countries as well, but I mean, I've studied their political system and it's very attractive in a way that, you know, even a, a, a politician didn't go into politics because of anything, but because I just want to go serve my country. And you have um, his gardener friend or neighbor and they're still hanging out. It's not a status thing in, in that sense. So you don't see poverty. You know, um, and people take dignity in the type of work that they do. Mm-hmm. We don't, as Africans, take dignity in, the, and, you know, being a politician has been mainstreamed as a very, you know, affluent person with power and money. Mm-hmm. And these are two things that we all yearn for. Yeah. Um, Please notice that all those who have engaged in that, who have gone into mainstream politics, mm-hmm. have first succeeded at running some sort of Either they've run a school or they were successful in their private practice as doctors or engineers or whatever, or they served the, their communities in a certain way. Mm-hmm. And having accumulated that level of experience, are now giving back to the community. To the community. Mm-hmm. And not going in this for the money, but to actually give back. They're, they're grateful to society because it has made so, them. Just before I forget this, Mr. Tai. Mm. Before they blame politicians for because this I was supposed to say it, we were discussing something and then I, I it skipped my mind. So many people have been blaming politicians for having or using a lot of power and money. I think it is not that polit no politician would want really to use a lot of money in in in, in the society, in the communities. But there are people who are pushing them for money. For instance. When you go for you, when you go to the restaurant, you are a member of parliament. Because me, I go to those restaurants anyway. You, you are in those restaurants. When all people see you, they stand. You get my. They point. expect you to pay. They expect you to pay all their bills. When you go to the funeral, the family will not do anything. They will expect you to buy the the the, the caskets, the, the, the goats, the, the cows, the bags of rice. I mean, do you do it? Definitely, if that is the culture, and this is when you when you when you go to the funeral, someone is dead. Like uh, there's a time I lost one of my voters, and this this person was really nice to me. So I went there, and whoever talked was telling me, "Oh, honorable, this guy he has left four children." I'm also young. 
mean, I, I still have too much on me. And you expect me to take his, take up his four children, take care of them, pay school fees. I mean, I'm, I represent 25 districts. How many children will I take up? Mm. You get my point? Yeah. So expectations. Expectations from it's the very public high. is very high. Yeah. So when these guys sit... You are a local government. They, that is, you, you, they almost see you as a government. So when, when you, they make you pay all these, you're scared. To, the following day, you either not go for any function, <laughs> or when you go, you'll come back and claim it. Mm. When you sit as members and it is a common problem, then you start figuring out how to raise your pays. Mm. Your payments will raise because you need. And when they hear of that, they'll fight you. They'll be like, "Did you see that? These politicians are just embezzling our money. They are raising their pays every now and then. But what do you expect us to do?" Where do you want us to get the money that you demand from us? So sorry, um, Sarah, thank you so much for that point. Um, because we, are, we just have like six minutes left. Um, it's been an hour. Wow. Um, it's, it's just very interesting that, you know, we're talking about the culture of inequality. And that's where it starts. Yeah. Expectation, mm -hmm. demands, and, you know, you want to also meet because you want, know you are coming back to them. So you also want to try your best. Mm -hmm. So that you can co go back to them to get their votes. And How? some get bodyguards to, to create boundaries. <laughs> For you. Some, you... some members will yeah. get, some politicians will get bodyguards. You'll find someone having 15 bodyguards. And you cannot approach him or her easily. You cannot okay. access her. Or they so, communicate to parliamentary police not, to, not to let, any not to let anyone in. in. Because as you are coming, you are bringing a lot. <laughs> <laughs> So how do we find a permanent solution to combating poverty? And poverty in my context is not only um, I don't have food to eat, it's also poverty of the mind. How do we combat that? I'll, I'll half first. Uh, yeah. yeah. Okay, thank you. Sure. I think that's your last remarks. I yeah. think, thank you so much. Yeah. I think we, we need to, there are so many measures, but we need to, to start with that too. Mm -hmm. One, from the family levels. Mm. Parents must groom their children and tell them that all we need from government is security and stability. Government can never give you free money. It can never change your livelihood until you choose to change your own livelihood. That's one. Yeah. The second partner or uh, stakeholder would be schools. We need to change our curriculums in school. Those Indians you see, if you, an Indian walked in here today and the Ugandan is here and East African or African people are also here, but there's one Indian and you allow them to stay in this institution for one month and you tell them after one month, I want to see how much money you have made. An Indian will make 10 times money than any other these people. Why? Because they have the, what they call family management in their curriculums. They know how to survive with or without any other person's support. Yeah. Someone will say they are Indians who are poor, yes, but those have not even gone to these schools. Yeah. But those who get opportunities to go to these institutions and they are students of these, I mean, good uh, uh, lectures and, and I mean, they learn to, uh, something about it, their livelihood will change completely. So, in Africa, we tend to learn about Eskimos, about the British rule and government. They, they teach us a lot of rubbish. 
I'm sorry to say. <laughs> but they do. You're allowed. But when it comes to issues to do with us, they don't. Mm. You'll find so many university students who have graduated with first class, second class, upper. They are on the streets, first year, second year, 10 years. They have land in their villages. They have the market for crops in Kampala and even in their villages. There is, there is a lot of opportunities around them. But because they were told to be civil servants, mm. you'll find someone dying to become a sub-county chief. I used to tell young people, I will not push for that law to change because I don't believe you're supposed to be working there. You need something. You deserve something better. Let people who, who are weak in one way or the other go for those jobs. You'll find them saying, getting a job as a sub-county chief, you need three years experience, you are no longer youth. Why do you go for a job that will give you 200 US dollars when you are energetic and you can earn 2,000 US dollars per month. So I think we, as African countries, we need to do a lot with mentorship. Right from primary school, we need to groom our children, both families and institutions. Thank you very much. Your last remarks on that same. Sure, I'll defer to a popular statement that has been made on the African continent about how poverty is not a result. Po poverty is a result of man-made actions. Hmm. She's made that point elaborately. Yeah. The solution cannot be an act of charity. Hmm. It is deliberate, conscious actions to redress that poverty and these imbalances. Hmm. So it's a, it has to roll up our sleeves, get our hands dirty and move, and get into action towards in the ways that we've described uh, for the last hour or so. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, both of you. I think it has been an amazing conversation, right? Mm -hmm. Thank you, Agnes. You are doing an incredible job. Thank you, darling. Thank you. So, um, we hope that, you know, this sort of... Um, conversation does not end here that you guys take it home and in your communities as well and we appreciate your time thank you so much thank you yeah